From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. My job is to be the adult in the room, to tell you folks the truth. I'm answering the question. We're here to bring this country together, not to divide it. You know, some may go down tonight, but it ain't going to be jobs, sweetheart. I'm Nancy Solomon. Coming up later in the show, we'll talk with Tom Moran, editorial page editor with the Star-Ledger, about Governor Christie's Latino problem. But first, Governor Chris Christie would like the media to apologize for getting it wrong on Bridgegate. This is what he had to say on Fox News last week. You know what happens when the media, Shannon, gets crazy over a story like they got crazy over Bridgegate and were convicting me the day afterwards of, of heinous acts. You know, now, when they realize that there are no, there's no truth to what they said, now they say, oh, he didn't do anything, but he created an atmosphere. Well, you know, that's what the liberal media does when uh, rather than saying, I'm sorry which is what they should say. So we called some of the reporters who covered Bridgegate. Charles Stile is a columnist with the Bergen Record. All we were doing is tracking down or trying to provide answers to a lot of questions that were swirling, a lot of doubts. Matt Arco covers Governor Christie for the Star-Ledger and NJ Advance Media. It's worth mentioning the last time the governor mentioned that somebody would owe anybody an apology was when he said we would need to apologize to... David Wildstein and Bill Baroni for our coverage of them since that time, that was in December 2013, since that time the two men have been uh, either indicted on federal charges or one pleaded guilty to federal charges in the Bridgegate scheme. David Cruz is a reporter for NJTV. I wouldn't say that the media owes Chris Christie an apology per se, but I will say that there was a certain amount of breathlessness uh, around all the coverage that the Bridgegate scandal got. So in a lot of ways, it was the best of us, but it was also, in a lot of ways, the worst of us. And we're joined now by our very own Bridgegate sleuth, New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. Any regrets, Matt? No. uh, I think the only regret I have is that I've spent hundreds of hours bent over my laptop reading government PDFs about Bridgegate for the last year and a half. So maybe I should be apologizing to my wife and kids, but I have no plans to apologize to the governor just yet. I'm, I'm not sure he's really waiting by the phone for my call anyway. So is there, though, a grain of truth to what Governor Christie says about the Bridgegate coverage? I mean, MSNBC hit it pretty hard for several months, even on days or weeks when nothing new had emerged. So is it true that maybe the media went overboard on Bridgegate? I think he might have a legitimate gripe that MSNBC specifically was going after him and leading their programming and doing like three, four hours in a row every night. Um, but, you know, that that's sort of like cable TV news. That's the way it works. Uh, but he doesn't, you know, get as specific as that. He just paints this broad brush with the media. And what he's ignoring is that we didn't really cover the fact that these lanes were closed. We didn't cover that for months and months on end. What Bridgegate did was it opened this whole Pandora's box into the administration and to how the Port Authority and the governor's office was politicizing typically governmental acts in ways that we had no idea about. It just triggered much more scrutiny into how this administration was operating, like retribution, like the mayor of Jersey City who said after he chose not to endorse the governor, seven meetings with Christie officials were canceled within an hour or two, like how people in the governor's office working on tax dollars were going out and seeking 
politicians' endorsements on government time, which is not the way it's supposed to work. We, we did a ton of coverage on the Port Authority itself. We looked at how tolls increased by such an insane amount of money in such a short period of time, why it cost $15 or so to go across the George Washington Bridge. Uh, so he likes to paint a huge broad, broad brush into all of this, um, but it's really not just about lane closures. It's about the politicalization of government by Christie and by this bi-state Port Authority. Christie is clearly trying to shape the Bridgegate narrative to a national audience that might not be up on all the details. But he's also doing something else here. He's using the media to great effect. In the five years you've covered him, how has he used his relationships with reporters or the way that he talks with reporters to his advantage? The first way he uses it is a dog whistle to the right, that he doesn't trust the liberal media and that he tells them to their face that he doesn't trust them. And he does this often. And then sometimes those quips are turned into YouTube videos that he can uh, send off to conservative audiences. Did I say on topic? Are you, are you stupid? On topic. On topic. Next question. Good. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you all very much. And I'm sorry for the idiot over there. He loves to say, you know, if a reporter's an idiot, I'm calling him an idiot. And I saw it myself. I was in a, a parking lot in New Hampshire once with the governor, and a woman came running up to him. I love the way you talk to some of the reporters. Because like I, him I, especially? I think, He's a real pain in the neck right here. This I one? Think I, There's a deep distrust among conservatives that the main, so-called mainstream media is, is super liberal and is just out to take down Republicans. And... I think it's been going on from the get-go with him, but he does seem to be talking about it a lot more post-Bridgegate. He does seem to be talking about this media bias a lot more. Uh, now he can actually point to something and complain about it and harp on it and attack us for it. All right. That's New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Nancy. This is far from the first time a politician has used the media as a foil. Vice President Spiro Agnew did it famously when he called reporters nattering nabobs of negativism. The purpose of my remarks tonight is to focus your attention on this little group of men who not only enjoy a right of instant rebuttal to every presidential address, but more importantly, wield a free hand in selecting, presenting, and interpreting the great issues in our nation. We're joined now by our Natterer-in-Chief, Bob <laughs> Garfield, host of WNYC's On the Media. Hello, Bob. Hello, Nancy. How are you? I'm well. When Spiro Agnew goaded the press by calling them nattering nabobs of negativity and hopeless, hysterical hypochondriacs of history, is that the <laughs> beginning of this era in which politicians regularly use attacks on the media to make friends and influence enemies? I would so love to be able to give you an authoritative answer to that. Uh, I do know that when William Sapphire wrote those words for Vice President Spiro Agnew, Vice President in the Nixon administration in the 60s, um, it corresponded with the time when I became vaguely politically aware, right? And I'm the oldest living American, so I go back a pretty good way. And certainly that was a watershed. And for the rest of my life, I have been watching mainly Republicans, mainly conservatives, run against the press as much as they run against uh, their either primary or general election opponents, because it's reliable. 
it, it's where the culture wars began. It's the us versus them mentality. Conservative Republicans in the United States didn't invent it, uh, but it has been a constant for you know at least 40 years. Of course, during these past 40 years, the media landscape has completely changed, right? So we've gone online. Now we have Twitter and Facebook. And it just seems to me it's kind of interesting that you know, this was meant to usher in uh, more expression of opinions and ideas and less control by the media. But these kinds of comments got a tremendous amount of coverage back then when there mm-hmm. was no Twitter. Well, you know, it's a bit of an irony that while we have had this democratization of media and the vast fragmentation and number of outlets, which in and of itself undercuts the notion of a, of a vast conspiracy to undermine conservative thought. Right? I mean, it never existed even when there were only three networks and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. Uh, even back then, the media concentration did not work by committee or by conspiracy or collusion, but that was always the premise of this complaint, right? Well, th- what's happened now that we have a drazillion different outlets is it just gives conservative Republicans and Brazilian different outlets to go and make the same complaint about the media being against them and also not representing the the values of uh, good, solid middle Americans. Interestingly, I said, it, it ha- though Sarah Palin talked about the lamestream media and Nixon had an enemies list filled mainly with media people and Ronald Reagan and George Bush all took their shots, you, you just, you don't have to pay attention to contemporary American politics, you know, you can go to Russia too. Putin talks about the West and any number of ayatollahs have talked about the West in exactly the same terms as conservative politicians talk about the media. It is this other and it is out to undermine our values. It's out to lie to you uh, and to force on you ideas that make you uncomfortable. You know, and draw your own conclusions about that. Heaven knows I've drawn mine. Are you, Bob, a nattering nabob of negativity? Well, I am. That's, you know, I am in the finding fault with others industry. And therefore, you know, sort of by definition, I do, I do have to be negative. But I, I don't invent things to be negative about. Uh, sadly, there is a bottomless reservoir of misfeasance and malfeasance and bridge gates for me to, um, to be negative about. I do owe Chris Christie an apology. Uh, I don't know if any of the other reporters um, have followed his instructions to apologize, but I do. Uh, I want to speak on behalf of the entire global media conspiracy. We had him in our sights. We blew it all out of proportion, and um, and someone has to take responsibility for that. And I, I guess it, it may as well be me. Um, I'm sorry, Governor. Um, I wish you all the best. There you have it, an apology by Bob Garfield, host of WNYC's On the Media. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. There's just too much talk and gossip going round. We have to stop letting the media define who we are and what we stand for. That's foreign to so many in that leftist media that kind of runs the show here, that that narrative that they create. Just think how much you're going to be missing. You don't have Nixon to kick around anymore. Governor Christie has launched his first presidential ad. Leadership matters. It matters for our country, and American leadership matters for the world. 
and there's already a hitch. Leo Cervantes told the star Ledger that although he appears in the ad supporting Christie, he's not sure if he'll vote for him. The 45-year-old restaurant owner in Highlands, New Jersey, is a Mexican immigrant who supported Christie's re-election. The governor won about half the Latino vote in 2013. Now his support in that community is waning. We're joined by our regular contributor, Tom Moran, editorial page editor of the Star-Ledger, to tell us more. Hi, Tom. Hi, Nancy. How are you? So what's bothering Leo Cervantes? Well, it's interesting because he he was a victim of Superstorm Sandy and and was very satisfied with the help he got on that front. But his problem is that the governor um, came out against the path to citizenship. Christie had previously supported that and gone on national TV, and he spoke forcefully in favor of establishing a path to citizenship for those who are undocumented here now. Later, in during his campaigning in Iowa, he changed that position and said he's opposed to that. So Sorrentes noticed that and was very disappointed. And so he says he's not sure if he's going to support Christie. He also uh, was surprised to find himself in a presidential ad. Yeah, that only surprises me. I would think you'd need to get permission, but that happens uh, on a lot of political ads. That's not just a Christie thing. Martin Perez, president of the Latino Leadership Alliance of New Jersey, is also angry with the governor, and he was a big former supporter. Chris Christie, the presidential candidate, was going to expand the Republican base to include Latinos. That was the hope as recently as a year ago. Is that hope now dead? Well, I think it is. Uh, he ran into the problem with the Republican base's views on immigration. You know, he came out, I was with him up in New Hampshire in a town hall meeting. A woman said, what are you going to do to get all these illegal aliens off welfare? And Christie came out sounding like a very progressive guy. You know, he could have thrown red meat to the base on that question. He said, no, they're not on welfare. They're coming here to work. And he said, building a fence along the border is not going to solve the problem. Afterwards, I walked up to him and I said, what about a path of citizenship? And he said, well, we'll get to that. And then three or four days later, apparently, he held his finger up to the wind and decided to, to oppose it. Now, we heard earlier in the show about Christie's use of reporters as foils. I can't not ask you about one of the governor's most notorious jabs uh, when he was talking to you. You know, Tom, you must be the thinnest skinned guy in America because you think that's a confrontational tone. Then, you know, you should really see me when I'm pissed. (laughs) Tell us what happened. Why did he say that to you? Well, first of all, I was on the ground floor of launching this man's YouTube career. Let's make a note of that. That was his first, like, giant hit, beating up on a reporter who can't answer back to them in the middle of the crowd. Um, that was a moment early on in his governorship when he was bringing this new style, which everyone found sort of stunning, this really in-your-face style. And a bunch of Democratic leaders were telling me, look, he's making it a lot harder for us to make a deal by throwing out all these insults. So I asked him, Governor, what is the story with your tone? Do you think that is helping or hurting your prospects of reaching agreement. And then he launched into this bed. Tom, Tom, I'll tell you, Tom, and you know why they use that mealy mouth tone? And at the time, we all thought it was, he was hilarious. But I was really surprised by the reaction. Everyone said, oh, my God, you know, how did you, did you feel terrible? I don't care. I mean, we all take our shots at each other. Politics, you know, it's not beanbag. All right. Tom Moran is the editorial page editor of the Star-Ledger. Thanks, Tom. Okay, Nancy. Thanks for having me. The Christy Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christy Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. And you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00. 
that's Matt K-A-T-Z, and Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm Nancy Solomon. <laughs>